My name is Josh Alvarez. And I am Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 125 of Cinepunks. How's it going? One, two, five. That's auspicious. We did it. It's a good number. It's the first episode of 2021, and I'm feeling okay about it. Feeling good. Yeah, we're here uh, just to give you guys like a handle on where we are in space time. Uh, We're here the day after uh, the failed redneck coup. Uh, this is the day, and in fact, we were gonna record yesterday, uh, and but then the government got caught on fire, and we decided <laughs> it was probably better not to, because there was no way I was gonna be able to focus on talking to you with the no. world on fire. No. You know, no. that would have been a, that wouldn't have been a thing. I mean, and that's the thing too. Like, we can even say that for people like it. You know, I think a lot of people spent yesterday doom scrolling. You know, and just kind of like looking at Twitter for any sort of updates. And I totally get that. That happens. You know, when something's going on like that, it's hard not to just be sucked in, whether you're watching CNN or MSNBC or something like that, or you're just Mm. on the Internet looking for live streams, whatever it is, Um, because though, you know, things could have been worse in the moment. You don't know how bad they're going to be. So, you know, I'm, I'm watching the thing thinking. Parts of this are just ridiculous, but parts of this are very scary, and I kind of want to know what's going to happen to our, you know, our world. The whole shit is just like we're watching the whole thing unfold in real time via Twitter and YouTube, and that shit just sounds dystopian to me. It sounds fucking crazy. And again, how am I supposed to talk about Lou Diamond Phillips while everything is going crazy and people are storming the Capitol building? That's not a thing. You know, I can't. It's hard to focus. You know what I'm saying, man? I support you, man. I do think that's a good segue you just brought up. We want to let everyone know here on this 125th episode, we have a special gift for you. We're going to be uh, <laughs> running a, a short, admittedly short, interview with Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah. Lou the the myth. Diamond Phillips, the our legend. friend. <laughs> yeah. Our, now our friend. Our Filipino, <laughs> our Filipino uncle, our Filipino slash indigenous uncle, Lou Diamond Phillips. <laughs> um, we'll, yeah. we'll get we'll we'll get into all that uh, in a sec. First, we just want to take a second here and say thank you. A brief moment to say thank you. Obviously, we're saying thank you to you for listening to the show, but we're more specifically thanking all of uh, those folks who support us on Patreon. We appreciate you so much. We appreciate uh, uh, the support that you give us, uh, the way that you make it possible for us to do what we do. And we want to encourage you. um, We're coming up with some new things for y'all, not just shirts, which I would love to send people shirts if they would uh, let me know their shirt size. I'll get you shirts in the mail. But we also really, really, really want to start having zoom conversations with our patrons so yeah if you are one of the people who is generous enough to support us on patreon do me a favor shoot us an email cinepunks at hotmail.com or use at the gmail me- at gmail oh, you're right we don't gmail. use hotmail yeah oh man i'm old <laughs> My brain. that was good yeah that was i it. caught it though i, I caught you. it thank you cinepunks at gmail.com <laughs> or you can use the messaging uh option on 
Patreon. You know, you can message us directly on Patreon. We're just trying to find a time to uh, to talk to people, and and really, this comes from a, a friend of the show, support on Patreon, uh, Sophia, who we we had a conversation with, and it was a lot of fun, and we thought we should do this with more of our folks. So, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know who will be able to come to every one, but I want to like start scheduling them out so we can have some hangout time with y'all. And we're totally down to just hang out one on one. Ask Sophia. I mean, like we totally just chilled with her and talked to her for a little bit, and she's yep. awesome. And uh, it's cool to just meet different people that have been. It's like it's funny, right? Like we've been talking on this thing for like six years now. Sure. And the only voice I ever hear back talking to me is you. <laughs> I mean, and, occasional uh, occasional guests, but for the most yeah, part, occasional yeah, it's just me. For and the you. most part, it's just me and you. And I'm with it. I'm into it. And um, but I want to have more conversations with people other than Liam because let me tell you after six years Liam gets pretty repetitive so stop you know. it stop it I am an endless <laughs> font of conversation endless well one of those is right so you know oh. I'm just saying <laughs> you know what I didn't know this ad thing was going to turn into a bust on Liam's session I'm oh, moving man. on have you not been paying attention we're everything switching, is we're, opportunity we're switching gears from a great opportunity to mess with me to a great opportunity to mess with Chris Reject <laughs> Our other sponsors, <laughs> Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. We love them. We love the support that they give us. We love that they are our uh, supplier of shirts for all of y'all. Uh, if you head over to xlvacx.com, uh, they can supply all of your screen printing needs. Shirts, face masks, hoodies, sweatpants. Koozies, sweatpants, whatever socks, Yeah. Whatever you need. Yeah. Whatever you need. They got you over there at xlvacx.com, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. And what we love about this is... What? What if you need coffee? I'll get there in a sec. I didn't get to make a joke yet. What we love about this is the more work that you give to Chris Reject, the more likely he is to have a nervous breakdown. And that's what we're (laughs) pulling for here, is for, for the business to succeed so much that he completely loses his mind. So that's that's the hope, and please help us be a part of that. Uh, when Chris is losing his mind, he'll be drinking coffee all night, and hopefully that coffee will be from EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. You are so good. Every time I'm like, yo, I got Liam. This is going to be great. Liam comes back and does something so much funnier than what I could Stop. think of. No, that wasn't I'm- that. Stop. I'm perpetually in awe of my man's Liam. That's all I'm saying. That's all. What was that noise that just came from your side of the? Was that your microwave? What was that noise? No, that was the one-up sound from my uh, phone because I got a text message from my brother, and I'm sorry. Yeah, that's it's the one-up sound from uh uh from Mario. What's so (laughs) funny about that is my so we got a new microwave when we moved because we just kind of left all the old things. Like, we only took a few things, you know? And so uh, we got a new microwave, which is good. You know, I'm glad we updated. But the new microwave, instead of just making beeping noises, which I've just lived with my whole life, is microwaves beep at you. This motherfucker, it's all... Yeah, It's great. It's like... I literally... I know it's supposed to be nice, but every time I hear it, I thought... Who was the fucking psychotic engineer who was like, yeah, I'll write a little something in MIDI. It'll be cool. Yeah, no, I got it. I got some stuff. I've been working on some MIDI tunes. I'll add those into the microwave. I mean, it would be way better if you could actually select the tune by which your microwave plays to signify the final cooking. Uh, it would always be It would always be the Pantera fight ref. Oh, is that My what food would be? would be ready. It would just be like, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> 
Or you know what I would actually like it is like when it was done cooking, it would it would just be Dwid yelling, Misha. <laughs> That'd be fucking sick. That would be great. You would want to eat all the time. All that to say, you should order your coffee from Essex Coffee Roasters. Here's look. Here's the deal. Aaron Aaron Dahlbeck is is the man. You know him from Bane Converge. Be well. Uh, but you should also know his sick coffee roasting skills. Uh, Aaron touring in a band. Uh, one of his defining things of tour was questing for that great cup of coffee and so uh being a part of that search for a cup of coffee that you could rely on to be good uh really nailed home for him the way that coffee feels in some ways inaccessible like we can all go to donkeys and get some duncan but what if we want something a little more higher quality it feels like you have to be i don't know like some sort of coffee snob and so essex is trying to get you fresh which is really important fresh roasted roasted to order beans of the highest quality in a way that doesn't require you to feel like you're some sort of fancy coffee expert they want to hook you up some elitist or yeah to take away some of the elitism that is sort of projected onto coffee you know what i mean and so i you know i like that i i like the idea of giving you uh, quality coffee, like fine wine quality coffee, but with the accessibility of a Slurpee from 7-Eleven. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I really yeah. appreciate that. So they're a great company. If you add in the code CINEPUNKS, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, uh, I think you need to spell it in all capitals, actually. Uh, that'll get you 10% off on your order. So, And I think they're – are they still running the deal with the cross keys stuff? I think they still have a couple of bags, but I, I actually think it might be done now. But still, you know, I got my cool. I got my order in. It hasn't come yet, but I ordered my cross keys. So sick, so sick. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we're hoping we're hoping eventually to partner with him to do Cinepunks coffee. I know for Rough Cut, we want to work with him to do Rough Cut coffee. So I just think uh, keep an eye on them. That, that he's he's doing great work over there, and the coffee's amazing. So yeah, and he has cool stuff. Yep. Yep. Cool shirts and shit. So get in there. Tell them Cinepunk sent you. Tell them and use the code. I mean, the code really does help us a lot if you use it. So, <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, let's just be transparent. Let's be as transparent as we can here, guys. Okay. Let's do Me it. and Josh have had conversations about sort of next step things for Cinepunks. And one of the things we had talked about was like, um, we should reach out for slightly higher name guests. Now, what I mean by that is not to say that we're not going to have our friends on the show because, you know, we had a Google document of people we wanted to have on the show. If I took that, uh, if I made another Google document, was that and made a and and the purpose of the document was people that Josh already promised could be on the show but still haven't been on the show. <laughs> that would be a longer document. That'd be twice very, as very long. long document. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. So if if you're one of those people, you're still up for the show, and I, I have people off the top of my head that I've talked to that we want to have on the show. That's not what this is about, but. We thought, well, since we are trying to record more often, we're going to have more shows to do, let's try reaching out to some people, just see what we can get, see who's willing to come on the show. And so then Josh enjoys weed. I do. It's so good. And and Josh, so- what did you decide to do one night while potted on weed? I was uh, inebriated. And um, here's the thing. I want to give a shout out to the homegirl... Uh, Morgan from Staten Island, who I made fun of for liking margarita and tortilla chips. And let me tell you something. When I was uh, in the Southwest with my wife and dog, right, 
I had some uh, margaritas and chips and uh, added the uh, radical element of the Chiba Chiba, y'all. And man, that stuff is delightful. So, one night, when your boy was a little bit on the thing, with a couple of the sips of the stuff and a couple chips in the mouth, I was like, yo, let me tweet at people and see who wants to come on my show. And the very first person that I tweeted at was Mr. Lou Diamond Phillips. And he wrote back. <laughs> he was like, talk to my management team. And that was when I had spoken to the homegirl, Anna, my home, my homegirl, Anna McCain. And she was helping me with navigating the process of talking to reps and agents and all this other stuff. So without her, none of this would have even come close to fruition. But um, the homegirl set me up so that I could talk to people. And then the next thing we know, LDP is on our show. Now, here's the other funny thing about this. When you tweet at people when you're high and a little bit drunk, I'm going to sure. say... It's not a thing that comes right to your mind the very following day that you did the night before in Phoenix, Arizona. Sure, yeah. And lo and behold, it's like a surprise the second time. You know what I'm saying, man? Like, maybe you don't because you, you're still of the of the edge. I'm just saying. I like how you say it, was, it as if I'll grow out of it or something. I think 41 is it's, it's a commitment. <laughs> yeah, you made it. Um, yeah, you're good. You're good. But look, I, I, I do think it's worth noting because Josh forgot, but I know that we have listeners who actually pay attention to the show. They'll know that on this very show, on recording, I threatened to end the show if Josh ever tweeted at a celebrity again. That was something I said during a show. However, <laughs> that was said because we were literally like uh, shot down by somebody. I don't even remember who anymore, Danzig or Jack Black or <laughs> someone made us look like fools on the internet. And, and and I was like, Josh, never do that again. Well, guess what? Josh got high and he did it. And <laughs> it yielded us LDP. So you know what? I take it back. I take it back. Uh, only a little bit. Dude, I actually think the there's a when, better when way Liam, to do this. But. When Liam yelled at me for, for tweeting at someone that I shouldn't have tweeted, I got off of Twitter because I was like, I'm like, okay, listeners of the show know. Liam is a lot more internet savvy than your boy. And mildly, mildly more. I don't know about my, but here's the thing. You were like, yo, man, you can't be doing that. And I was like, cool. Maybe I shouldn't Twitter anymore. And then I was off of the thing for like a bunch of time. But uh, fact of the matter is, man, you can't. Ever since Trump got elected, there is no way to get a true understanding of American politics in America without having a Twitter account. That is very fair. And so I, I'm back. Been back. Well, and, and, uh, and, and here's the deal, right? I think that um, as much as I, my, my, so my fear for the people who are completely off Twitter and don't know why this is weird, you know, there's a lot of people on Twitter. So the idea that famous people would have to look at every, you know, jag off who tweets at them and say, do I want to go on this guy's podcast or not is crazy pants. Like, that's just not fathomable. So it's really like kind of like bad. Procedure, Process. yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. When when there are ways, if you want someone famous to come on your show, it's actually not that it, it may or may not happen, but there's a way to do it that will actually, you know, there's there's people to go through the same way that like if you know if you have a friend who's in a band and the band reaches a certain level, you know that texting your friend and saying play this DIY show at a certain point doesn't work, and it doesn't just work because your friend is like too cool for you. It's that they have like 
commitments and they have a schedule and they have contracts. So the reality is you tell your friend, hey, I'm going to hit up your booking agent. Can you put a worm in their ear that I'm your friend? And bada bing, bada boom, stuff works out. All that to say, the difference here is two things. One, I thought it was very funny and I was like, I don't care. You know, I want to talk to LDP, so I don't care how you did it. But two, you've (laughs) tweeted at LDP before. Anyone who follows you knows you've made comments to him before. So I actually think he kind of felt like, again, not like he knows you, like we met him by doing the thing, but he's aware of you because you've tweeted at his his, uh, handle previously. This wasn't a completely cold thing. You've interacted on Twitter in the past. It's true. He has... Uh, see, my friend of the show, Brian Adolph, made me a T-shirt that says, You're in love, and it's a parody of the Wilson Phillips song, right, which he made yes. a Wilson Phillips T-shirt for me that had Luke and Owen Wilson and Lou Diamond Phillips. And it said, Lou, like, it said, you know, Wilson Phillips, and it was the Wilson brothers and, and Lou Diamond Phillips, and said, You're in love. And uh, I wore it when I played on um, a radio show. Uh, I played a solo appearance for, um, it was like a cross keys solo thing. And I played on the radio and I wore the shirt and I tweeted at him and I was like, Hey, check it out, man. Got your, got you on my t-shirt for my radio interview. And, uh, he told me to hold on one more day. I love it that. Nice. I love it. It was a moment. It was so, a moment. So there so, is, I mean, granted, that's not a friendship. That's not like, you know, we live in the internet. Lots of people interact on Twitter, whatever, whatever. But I don't think it's a completely cold thing to be like, hey, I'm doing this podcast. Do you want to come on? I didn't, it didn't feel random to me. It felt like, you know, <laughs> unlikely. But again, he's doing promotion. So, um, you know, the interview that you guys are going to hear, we're going to run, we're going to talk for a little bit, uh, then we're going to run the interview. It's definitely a promotional interview. We don't want to pretend that he was a guest on the show the way that, you know, uh, Ryan Prowse or, you know what I mean? Like Liam O'Donnell. Yeah, or Liam O'Donnell. These folks were guests on the show. They they were they, we had a longer conversation with them about film and you know it, whatever. That's not what happened here. You know this is Lou Diamond Phillips we're talking about. But yeah, uh, we both uh, have such a long history with him, which I, I feel like some people listening are going to immediately get this. They're going to be like, oh shit, Lou Diamond Phillips. And some people listening to this are going to be like, I don't know what you mean. You know because for a generation <laughs> of people, we grew up with the triple threat of. La Bamba, right? Stand and deliver. Stand and deliver. Right. And Young Guns one and two. Let alone yes. we could we could bring in uh people who love renegades or you know uh, a people lot of love my the first power. A lot yeah. of my horror friends love the first. I mean, I think the first power really is an underrated horror film. But all that to say, there's a history there that I think some of our younger listeners might not know. But then again, they might be fans of him because he's done so much in my mind, really good TV work in the past 15 years. They might know him from that. But to, when yeah. we say we grew up with him, like we really grew up with him. We grew up watching. I grew right. up watching La Bamba like every other day at the, All the time. minimum. Here's, I, I have a little bit of a funny story that goes along with this. Uh, listeners of the show and longtime followers know that I am going back to college. So that's a thing. I'm enrolled for this semester at CCP at Community College of Philadelphia. This morning, they had a virtual new student orientation, wherein I was in a Zoom call with a bunch of people, like 20-something people, and um, we had to just 
break the ice basically and we had to like we had you know moments to ask questions that like some of us had and all that kind of stuff but um one of the icebreakers that they had done this morning was um you need to tell two truths about yourself and a lie and uh in my two truths and a lie one of my points was that i spoke to lou diamond phillips because everybody in the class looked to be of age you know what I'm saying? It was a breakout room, actually, so it was just a smaller group. But, uh, yeah, they knew who LDP was, and that's the thing, man. People of a certain age know who Lou Diamond Phillips is from La Bamba, from, uh, from Stand and Deliver. You know what I mean? Like, he was that dude in the 80s, for sure. And now the younger people know him from Longmire and from Prodigal Son as, you know, Lieutenant Gil Arroyo. And it's just funny because it's like, uh, that's Jose Chavez y Chavez from Young Guns 1 and 2. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and he's done he's done short but very memorable stints on a million other shows as well that people probably know him from. Um, it's, it is very funny because uh, one of the things we briefly touched on with him was this idea of uh, trying to avoid being typecast. You know what I mean? And what I think is really interesting is that when he was younger – Everyone wants him to be the rebel, right? Like so many roles, he's yeah. just the same angry, young, whatever ambiguous brown they want him to be. Whether he's native or Latino or uh, Filipino, whatever it is, he's he's playing this you know angry outsider. And for some reason, now as an adult, he's almost always uh, either a police officer or some sort of figure of authority. Like he sort of turned the corner. It's kind of like a yeah. funny thing in our culture where we're like, well, every young rebel becomes a a, a, a figure of, the, of establishment. the establishment. Yeah, eventually, yeah, and it's funny too because he also has adopted this like i've been watching that prodigal son that first season and prep for the second and uh he sure. definitely has this like paternal oh, elder yeah. statesman yeah. like vibe you know and it's really fun to watch given that our history with him is you know the kid from pacoima fucking uh richie valens you know what i mean like that shit is it's hilarious to well, me we haven't spent a lot of time on this show talking too much about our you know like the people that we are legitimately fans of we do it a little bit but like i i think uh i think we avoid it somewhat too because the vibe of the show is very much like we are you know punks talking about film and a mm. lot of times in that world it's not like considered very cool to be a fan in the most obvious sense so like it, it's one thing to have a he hero you know like you could say like this singer you know like maybe uh someone loves uh john brandon you know and they're like oh, oh right yeah but like if you met john brandon and you just started crying no one would think that was cool especially john brandon you know what i mean like yeah yeah, yeah that, that sure. you know there's a certain level of fandom and and i'll be honest like i don't know that i have really invested in a lot of fandoms as cultures either like i you know we both like star wars uh i've definitely watched a fair share of star trek i've watched a ton of horror movies um mm. you know like there are all these popular medias i've dipped my toe into from manga and anime to steven universe and yet i've never fully participated in a fan culture ever it's just never something i've been able to invest in probably partly because i was you know trying to engage in these pop culture things while also researching obscure british peace punk bands and shit <laughs> like that. so it's like how much time does any one person have but uh, all that to say i know 
even more than me, you are straight up a fan of Lou Diamond Phillips. And I, I thought it was yeah. a good conversation to talk about, like, what are some of your actual fandoms? Who are you actually fans of? And and talk a little bit about how, I mean, we sort of said it somewhat, but a little bit about, like, being a fan of Lou Diamond Phillips as a young, you know, Filipino kid. It's just funny because it's like, you're right. Like, the fandom growing up in, like, the punk hardcore scene always has this connotation of some type of subjectiveness, right? Like that you're somehow like kneeling before something. And I mean, it's never been like, can you remember the first time you met like a hardcore punk singer or per participant that you're like, yo, it's that dude. Like, I remember the first time I met um, Rob Vital from Black Train Jack. Like that dude has a six octave range vocally, you know? And those first two Black Train Jack records were my intro not only to like New York hardcore, but also to the music of Ernie Parada, to like just that kind of a culture, you know what I mean? And when I first got to New York City, that was like the first band I ever saw when I was in college, when I, you know, when I got to North Jersey and I saw them at the Wetlands, like that kind of like weird, like, oh man, I don't believe I'm meeting this dude whose words have affected me so much. And it's funny in terms of like movies, right? in terms of like cinema in that like the people like that you look up to growing up specifically characters like a Lou Diamond Phillips or characters like um, uh, Christopher Reeves and Superman, like these things, you know, you admire these characters and these roles and you admire, like as a kid, you're, you're impressed upon like the things that are being depicted. So it's like a whole kind of different story. Like in my mind, that's the divide between music that is more ground level, much like punk rock and hardcore and things like movies where it's like, you know, that these, these are stars. These, these women and these men are like actual stars. Like they get tons of loot to just do the thing that they're good at. You know what I'm saying? And so in terms of fandom, it's it's funny, too, because I think about it a lot when I work at the Comic-Con. Like, you know, a lot of times I work where uh, our friend, friend of the show, Mark Beamer, for uh, previously for Shirts for a Cure and now for Cause Cards. Like, you know, we've worked so many conventions together, the New York's New York Comic Book Convention and uh, Chicago's C2E2, like these things. And you see this fandom and it's fandom for both characters you know, like the goon, but also for the creator of the goon, Eric Powell. And I, I keep on thinking about um about the Redskins. You know that band, the Redskins? No. They had that one song that says, take no heroes, take inspiration, take no heroes. And I think about that all the time. And it's like, you know, you're not looking for fallible people that you could exonerate. You know what I mean? You're looking for these concepts that set your mind and your heart on fire. And to me, that's what fandom is, right? But also, to me, as an older person who, you know, I didn't grow up with streaming. I didn't grow up with uh, on-demand or anything like that. You just had to watch what was on. And my family was fortunate enough to have cable, and we had HBO right at the time when movies like The First Power were playing seemingly on a loop, right? Like, it just I felt like I've seen these movies so many times because as soon as they're on, you're just stuck for the rest of the movie, you're just watching it, and that's what it is. Well, isn't that a and bit – I would say that's also something a bit emblematic of Lou Diamond Phillips' career early on was that his best and his maybe more obscure films all somehow fit into a category that they would be on – like in a single day, 
you could yeah, catch you could see uh you know stand and deliver on one station that did more artsy films and then mm. the first power on a different station and then renegades on a different station you know what i mean and then that's on a whole other st- you know what i mean like yeah he, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah he's 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 really I feel like, especially in his film career early on, tried to do a lot of different things to avoid feeling like, well, everybody wants me to be the guy from Young Guns, you know. So, so he tried a, a few different things and a few different kinds of roles, and you see that variety in the two films, the first two films that he directed. That the mm-hmm. they were one is this like. Uh, you know, uh, Cinemax style sex thriller, and the other one is like a uplifting, uh, you know, Native American story of finding your, you know, like they're so different, and yet he's in the being Lou Diamond Phillips in the yeah. best possible way, uh, and really taking these characters that like seem very different, but he owns them too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's true, and he enjoyed such a grand ubiquitousness in his career, like yes. everywhere. And it's so, it's funny, man. It's like, it's truly impressive. And I mean, like, you know, I guess it, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I did as a child admire like the roles that he played, but also as an adult now, I'm definitely in full admiration of a person who has stuck to their guns and lived the life that they wanted because of what their passions Predicated. Does that make any sense? Like, th- yes. When we talked well, to our man, he was I, just, he was just like, dude, I was an actor before La Bamba. Like, he was working in acting in Dallas, Fort Worth, right. Texas, and all this other stuff. Well, and he continued to, to do stage stuff, right? He was in The King and yeah. I. He did a bunch of like Broadway and other stage stuff, and like you know that he he's been able to uh, explore a lot of different things that he cares about. Yeah, that shit is so cool to me, and that shit well, is admirable. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, like, um, you know, I think that uh, the person that I compared him to is a little bit unfair because this person's made some great and some bad decisions. But, uh, you know, doing the show about Eric Roberts made me appreciate working actors, like people who mm-hmm. are not, you know, I'm not trying to judge anyone because everyone's career is their own, but there are definitely actors we could name who shone really brightly, and then when the role stopped pouring in because the shine was off their name they just Mm. disappeared and maybe there's nobility to that because they found something else to do with their lives but an actor like lou diamond phillips is like uh, you know he's been able to do the art films he's been able to do the big budget sort of whatever's uh he's Mm. been able to be on stage but he's also still working and still doing work that he feels good about i just respect that you know like i you know not everyone is gonna you know make 10 amazing movies and then disappear from the public eye. That's just not how it is. My man just kept working. I will straight up say not all the movies work out because he's been working all over the place. And, you know, uh, lots of movies are mixed bags. And, you know, no one that you love does everything that you wish that they would do. But the idea that he hasn't given up, that he keeps working and he keeps trying to do the best work he can do, I kind of love that. And I guess that that's more messy than like, uh, you know, someone who just sort of disappears. But uh, Mm. it it actually allows for some interesting things because now as a older working actor who's still doing stuff, he can make all kinds of interesting decisions. And some of those roles are made more interesting because of who he is and because of his history. Because of his experience and his history. And also, our man's reaching out and doing other stuff. He just finished a book 
called The Tinderbox, Soldier Vendera, and that came out last year, last uh, October, I think, was he saying, or December? I think, I think, I think October. October. He and clarifies in the interview. You'll hear it in a little bit here. And it's just, it's insane. Like, you wrote a book, too? What, are you bored? You know what I'm saying? It's like, come on, man. <laughs> just do it everything, I guess. So... I don't know. It's funny. Uh, also, once when you listen to the interview, just understand, people. Uh, I wasn't as cool as I probably could have been when talking to LVP, but I was losing my shit a little bit. Thank God Liam is the consummate professional <laughs> and held it down because I could barely get my tongue out of the out of my mouth to say whatever the hell I was trying to say, and it just sounded. It sounded to me, now Liam, we know, I'm my own worst critic, I'm sure I did fine, but also in my head it sounded like I was just like, like Chris Farley in those interview uh, sketches on Saturday Night Live, yeah, I definitely felt like that, I definitely felt like that. No, it's not like that, that, I think people will will appreciate it, it's, you know, I do want to be clear, it's a very short interview, if we could have had him on longer, we would have just done a full episode with him, Um, and there's lots of things that people care about that he's done that we didn't get a chance to ask about, Uh, I did have to get in the personal thing of asking him about Vic Diaz, since I do that Vic Diaz podcast, there are multiple... Like, uh, there are multiple roundups of Vic Diaz's career on the internet that claim he was going to be in the movie Bats, and he is not in the movie Bats. So, I had to ask Lou Diamond Phillips about that, and he was like, Yeah, I didn't know he was going to be in the movie at all. So, that's that's a bit of a that's a bit of a bummer that that didn't go anywhere. I really wanted to ask him too about you know, uh, growing up if if people knew who Vic Diaz was like if that was like important in that Filipino community that he interacted with but it just didn't come up you know you have half an hour you're me and Josh are both trying to get in you know questions and stuff and uh it's not easy to do and you know I think as much as I you know Josh is his own worst critic it is true like this is someone who's been important to both of us but even more so to you since you were a kid so of course you're a little like excited you know what i mean like yeah, it'd be weird yeah. if you weren't in my mind so if i think i that, was just chill just like so yeah lewis yeah can i call you lewis yeah that would have been weird can we call yeah. you louis <laughs> so yeah you know we, I, I think we were and also people will know like no disrespect to our former guests but this is the one of the first people we've talked to who we already have a really deep appreciation for in a way that you could call a fan. And, uh, you know, I think my fandom is a little slightly less than yours, but we both know. I mean, literally, I thought I knew the words to La Bamba my whole life. <laughs> it was only when I finally took Spanish that I realized I was just making sounds that were similar to the words. <laughs> they weren't the actual words of the song because I don't know Spanish. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, that was from that movie. That wasn't because I liked Ricky Valance. It's because I love that yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. you know? I, I don't it's know how true. many times I watched both Young Guns movies. I don't know how many times I watched, like I said, Renegades or I watched um, Stand and Deliver. Like, Stand and Deliver still makes me a little, little uh, misty Emotional. Eyed. Honestly, yeah. Gets you. yeah, no, yeah. it's still so good. It's such a man. And 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 know, the fact that those two movies really built up his career, like that, you know, Stand and Deliver was a movie made for PBS that suddenly became a box office hit, and La Bamba was made for like no money, and it became a box office hit. So like, yeah, that's and those it had are a, like it had a total Hispanic director, like you know, and mostly Hispanic cast. Like that shit is insane. That's quite an accomplishment in, in 1984, much less today. You know what I mean? Like that shit is crazy. Or eighty six or whatever year. It yeah, was. I think it was eighty six. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and we want to be clear, and we were clear with him in the interview about this too. We're not trying to boil his career down to just the first ten years, like like <laughs> like like uh, like we've said. Like he's been in a lot of stuff too. Um, I do want to say though, like because of those movies, when I'm watching something like I remember when Courage Under Fire came out. And he has a very significant, but not the most important role in the movie because I was already so familiar with him. When he shows up, I was like, oh, Lou Diamond Phillips. You know, like he's part yeah. of what makes that. Now, granted, now if you go back to Courage Under Fire as a young person, there's all these other famous people in the movie that weren't that <laughs> famous at the time. You know what I mean? But like yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. it was like, whoa, look, Lou Diamond Phillips is in this, you know? And so, yeah. anyways, I, we don't want to belabor the point here. I, I do want to say, like, you you will hear a little bit of us being fans in this interview, and that's fine. And I do think we need to – I personally think that our listeners who like us are people from punk and hardcore, however you can you know construe that. Embrace the fact that you're a fan of some people. It's fine. Like <laughs> It's one of the things I actually respect about uh, my other co-host, Justin Lohr. Like, he is an unapologetic fan. He will pay money to meet someone. And for me, for a long time, I didn't understand that. It sounded crazy to me. And as I've gotten to see the ways that it like really like is important to him and that's a way for him to show his appreciation of someone's work that's like affected his life that like actually is kind of beautiful the more I think about it now if he like stalked them and went through their trash that would be creepy but I think that's the that's the <laughs> point right it's like there is obviously a line that you shouldn't go yeah. over but don't cross the line but the idea that you appreciate someone's work, it, it does matter. And, and you know, you, you need to live into the fact that they're people. But I know that's, you know, I think the fact that these are actual normal people who happen to do great things is partly why Justin is so impressed by them. If he thought they were magical, it would be less likely to, like, make you emotional. It's the fact that you're like, wow, you're just a person like me and you did something that's mattered to me since I was a kid. It, you know, that's not something to laugh at. I don't I don't think. Now, granted... I don't I, think either, yeah. I don't have... Sure. I don't like, think there's anything to be ashamed of with that. That shit is cool. And I think this conversation sort of inspired me to think more about that because I think my... Part of the problem for me, and Josh, I think you know this now having talked to me for a while, is I go through stages in everything I care about. So I think some of the reason I don't have fandoms is not that I was never a fan, but I went through a stage where something was the most important thing in the world to me, and then I just moved on. And I don't <laughs> know that that's – I don't I'm not saying that's bad, but I don't know it's entirely healthy because I want to remember – like I don't need to love La Bamba the way I loved it when I was 14. However mm. – I want to remember why I did. If that makes you know, you see the difference. No, there? that like, makes perfect sense. In yeah, the same absolutely. way, like like when I'm talking about music, like right now, I would rather listen to Infest than VOD. But I knew mm. all the words to those VOD songs on that Green Drop album. You know, I knew every word. <laughs> yeah. So like at one point, that did matter to me, and I want to know why it mattered to me. I think that's mm. part of returning to fandoms and taking that part of my life seriously is me saying, I want to understand who I was then, as well as, you know, show some gratitude to people who really affected my life, you know? So anyways. Yeah, man. And especially like as we get older, sometimes you forget who you were back then. And at the end of the day, what watermarks do we have to go back to to remember who we were in those 14 year old afternoons watching HBO, you know what I mean? Right. Like the, the thing, the thing is the, the connection, right? And VOD is the perfect example. Another perfect example would be like the first strife record. You know what I mean? Like, do you remember how, where you were when you first heard 
those songs like i, I remember where I, w- I remember where i was when i first watched the one truth tour video there i you thought go. that was the I, coolest thing in the world that's what i'm saying man that's what i'm saying so all right fandom well matters that's the point here's what we're gonna do we're gonna stop chatting about it and let you actually hear the interview it's not that long it's only about uh 25 26 minutes um, because it took us a little bit to like get into the actual interview we were just chatting up ldp and then uh <laughs> And then uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to finally do our patented segment, Whacking on Track, only instead of it being our most recent stuff, we're going to give you the official Whacking on Track for the year that was 2020. 2020. Here comes that interview. After the break. Hello, everybody. We are talking with Lou Diamond Phillips. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way to ease into this. There's no No, way. You know what I'm saying? I'm not here to. It's a cannonball, Lou. You understand, right? That's that's not the weirdest thing. You're mentioning my name is like hitting somebody with a frying pan. I get it. Well, and and the reality here, uh, and uh, you know, our audience kinds of know this, kind of knows this, but we want to fill you in. Is um, as two brown (laughs) film fans growing up, you are one of the actors who has meant the most of us. I mean, we definitely watched La Bamba at least 200 times each. So having the opportunity to talk to you is pretty huge. And so and, and, and I'm still brown. Yeah, yeah man. exactly. Down with the brown. You're doing Weirdly, it. Yeah. so are we. It doesn't go away regardless, no. you know. No, I, I I always say it's, you know, it's it's like the UPS slogan, you know, what can brown do for you? <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus. This yeah. It's already amazing. Yeah, man. No, no. It's funny because uh, I made my wife watch La Bamba yesterday in prep for this. <laughs> and um, fact of the matter is I can straight up Chaz Palminteri the shit out of that movie. I can do it as like a one man play. I can recite all the lines. One hundred percent. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. I'm sure we're not the only person who people who've told you that. And that that's a thing, right? Like that. This isn't weird. <laughs> no, no I it's, it's not. It, it's um, it's still after what is it? coming up on 33, 34 years, still mind-boggling uh, how loved that film is. And, and it never gets old, you know? I mean, it really doesn't. It's, uh, you know, it's infinitely watchable. It's a perennial. And, and uh, I'm, I'm really proud of it, man. I mean, the, um, uh, the message that it continues to put out there, which is just as relevant, you know, in 2020, maybe even more so than it was in 1987, uh, you know, is, is about representation. It's about inclusion. It's about yeah. the fact that the American dream does not come in one color only. Yeah, absolutely. Can I tell you a funny story about this? Uh, I'm always up for funny stories. <laughs> so um, listeners of the show know uh, that my dad came here in 1963 from the Philippines to be a ballet dancer. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so he moved to Philadelphia and he was dancing with the Philadelphia Ballet and he was dancing with New York in New York Metropolitan for a little bit too. And one of the things that he did was he did West Side Story, where he played wow. Chino for a time. Yeah. Oh. He played Chino, who uh, shoots Tony at the end. Well, yeah. So in 1987, <laughs> right, I was in, um, I think, fifth grade. And this movie came out, and I fucking loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I told my dad, like, yeah, dad, we got to watch La Bamba. It's the greatest movie ever made. It's super fun. And my dad was like, you know, Joey. All of the Mexicans in the movies are really Filipino. And I was like, no, Dad, you're so wrong. You don't even know nothing, man. He's like, you know the sharks in West Side Story? They're all Filipinos. None of them are Mexican. I was like, you're wrong. This is incorrect. And so 
the legend of LDP being half Filipino was like a heralded thing. And I was like, no, incorrect. That, the dude's no, a straight that, Navajo. You don't know what you're talking about. No, I ambiguously brown, which has worked in my favor. I can't get over the first of all, that's a great impression of your father, but I find it so funny that you do an impression of your father. Your father who moved to Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> that's him, man. That's exactly how he sounds. You know it. <laughs> so we, we we definitely have classic questions, uh, you know, to, to give you an idea. I finished this morning uh, my rewatches of both uh, Sioux City and Dangerous Touch. So wow. we, we have some historical things, but we want to start yeah. with what's going on right now. Uh, because cool. you got this new season of uh, Prodigal Son coming out, and I hear tell that you uh, did some directing as well. I'm about to, actually. Uh, I'm in prep awesome. for it right now. And it's so interesting that you brought up Dangerous Touch and Sioux City because those were my first two uh, directorial efforts, uh, uh, Dangerous Touch going all the way back to 1990. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so thrilled. First of all, the second season of Prodigal Son is off the hook, man. You know, our writers did not let the pandemic, you know, uh, cage them in. They are unleashed. They are they, they, the stuff is just hilarious and jaw dropping and as big and as twisty and as dark and as fun as last season. So uh, I'm, I'm just I'm just so excited. Not, you know, not only as an actor, but now they gave me a script that is just like through the roof. I got to say. Uh, and and I get to introduce a couple of really, really cool recurring characters uh, that we're going to get some very, very cool people for. I can't tell you, but trust me, it's it's going to be mind blowing. Uh, and and so I'm really wrapping my head around uh, you know the direction of it. I, we've already picked a few of the locations. We got some special effects makeup work to do. Um, it's um, it, it's it's an e-ticket ride, man. And and uh, you know it's it's just so much fun, especially now that I I've got the 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 you know Christmas break to kind of really take my time and and envision it. Uh, you know, it works different muscles than than the acting muscle does. And, you know, and, and this goes back to my college theater training, you know, where I wrote and produced plays and acted in plays and then directed plays and was part of a comedy ensemble, uh, you know, that, that produced our own material. So uh, I've multitasked, you know, since since uh, the beginning of my career. And, and the fact that I'm directing more these days is, uh, you know, it's just me starting to pursue some of those other avenues that, that are now open to me. That's pretty exciting, huh? How's that feel? Oh man, it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, it's you know, it's you know, once again, you know, this this year uh, uh, has shut us down in so many ways. Right. You know, I'm, I'm I feel so terrible for my my daughter. I'm here I'm here in New York City. We would we would have our Nutcracker tickets already. You know, we would have mm. gone to a half a dozen Broadway plays already. Uh, and and it's just so sad that you know, so much uh, uh, is shut down. And and the ability to see family and friends. You know, I cook a lot to have friends over for dinner, to, you know, to just have that, that, you know, camaraderie and holiday spirit. Um, it's, it's a weird year, but, you know, I've had to um, express myself in different ways. Uh, and, you know, the, the directing is certainly part of that. And I'm very excited. And I knew at the end of last season that I was going to direct one this season. Um, but also uh, the downtime allowed me to, to finish the edits uh, and, and the final pass on my novel with my wife, Yvonne, uh, The Tinderbox, Soldier of Indira. That came out in October, and uh, that's that's done incredibly well and been really well received. So you know, uh, uh, this year I added you know author and novelist to my resume as well. That's unbelievable, amazing. unbelievable, are, multi like, multi hyphenate. Uh, you, you, you know the hero's brown. <laughs> Imagine yes. that. Yes. yes. 
So good. Are you into like sci-fi and like fantasy books like that? Is that like a thing? No. <laughs> That's the weird thing. <laughs> this was just so totally weird about it. I mean, you have to understand how it came to be. And, and, and this has been a, like a 10-year process. Uh, it started uh, when Yvonne and I started dating. And you know, we've been together with 16 years, married 13. Uh, and, you know, when, when you're first, you know, getting to know each other, you're, you know, you're trotting out all the, you know, cool stuff that you've done. And so she was reading a lot of my writing. And I was looking at a lot of her artwork. And, uh, you know, people can follow her, Yvonne Phillips, on uh, uh, Instagram because she posts daily artwork now. And it's it's stunning. But back in the day, she had done uh, 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 these early treatments uh, for a graphic novel in the manga style. I mean, she, she's oh. such a nerd. She's so cool. She was into manga in the 90s where you had to actually go to a bookstore to get it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. it, it wasn't, you know, it hadn't really reached these shores just yet. Uh, and, and so she had done these uh, uh, illustrations. And I thought, wow, this would make a great movie. You know, because it was, it was based on, on Hans Christian Andersen's The Tinderbox. But her drawings, um, you know, were, were so sort of evocative of a fantasy fairy tale, a post-apocalyptic, you know, story, and and so I, I, I we started the making the movie first, or you know, I should say writing the movie, and my first thought was, well, you know, to make a commercial, let's set it in space, uh, you know, Star Wars and Avatar and all that. Game of Thrones hadn't actually happened yet, you know. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So so um, started writing, you know, the screenplay. When I finished the screenplay. Uh, it was like, holy crap, this is so expensive. Nobody's going to let me direct it. You know? <laughs> and I have quite enough credits, you know, to, to you know, tell them a, a $75 million film. So we said, okay, well, let's, you know, I'll write the novel first and like really establish the world and create some more authorship. And and what's funny is that I, you know, I backed Yvonne into having to illustrate a sci-fi novel. <laughs> she loves sci-fi in the movies, but she kept saying, I don't draw spaceships. I don't draw fantastical creatures. You know, she, was, she, was, yeah, she was really pissed at me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so it, it, it was it was a very circuitous route to becoming, uh, and, and we we you know call it uh, sci-fi fantasy uh, because that that you know fairy tale aspect of it uh, is still very very prominent in the novel. So well, uh, yeah, I I read that this was an adaptation of the Tinderbox. Like, yeah, uh, was that just an influence, or was that like a direct like? Uh, you know, oh, it's, idea it's like we need lift, to take man. this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a total lift. Uh, it is not just an inspiration. The plot <laughs> actually follows the uh, uh, the the short story, or I should say, fairy tale fable. And uh, uh, I, I extrapolated a lot of things. I mean, there's a, a witch. The tree is is sort of uh, iconic in in uh, the HCA uh, dogs, uh, but in our novel, they are not what they seem to be. They, they've totally been changed into something else, although they're, they're referred to by, you know, their original uh, uh, monikers. And so um, it's it's fun. I mean, anybody who reads the novel should uh, go back and, and take a peek at the uh, uh, the Hans Christian Andersen version as well, because you can see uh, uh, all of the touchstones and all the little Easter eggs that are in there. Uh, releasing a book uh, during a pandemic is probably not that... Uh, different than releasing a movie in that you miss that opportunity for that in-person interaction. I'm sure like a tour with this book with you would be huge. How have you kind of adjusted to like getting that out there at a time when it, you know, people can't be together to come see you. Yeah, man, it was so sad. I mean, quite honestly, as soon as the book, uh, the book had sold in November of last year before the pandemic hit. So I mean, really, really planning on, you know, a book tour. 
uh, mm. a couple of dear friends of mine, Craig Johnson, who wrote the, who is still writing the Longmire Mystery series. Uh, he was instrumental in, in me finishing the book, and uh, a, a dear friend, uh, Chris Bojalian, whose uh, miniseries *The Flight Attendant* is is based on his novel. Uh, uh, you know, was also incredibly helpful. They both had to cancel book tours this year, but I, you know, went on and did virtual, um, you know, bookstore appearances with them, and and they kind of guided me into that. And we did probably I don't know half a dozen, uh, maybe eight ten uh, uh, actual virtual, um, you know, meet and greets and and book events uh, between the three of us, and and. You know, it's it wasn't the same, really. I mean, because I I really did want to sit in at a bookstore with you know Yvonne and, and myself and and you know read an excerpt and uh, you know and then sign you know sign the books. Um, it, it reminds me of and, and you know you, you guys you know found me on Twitter. This is how this happened. You know uh, how how it is. It's very much like uh, doing theater and meeting people at the mm. stage door afterwards. Yes, it's yeah. A shared experience. Uh, and you know from my, my Twitter feed that you know I, I interact with you know with my followers, uh, you know the fold, the friends of Lou Diamond, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know it's just, that that just once again goes back to my theater days and, and the fact that I am aware of the audience and I uh, am grateful to that audience, so I try to give back. That's awesome, man. That's it really is really cool. great. It is really. I mean, just like uh, after having, you know, this this is. One of the things that I think we both respect as fans of media and very specifically film fans is um, working actors, actors who are out there continuing to do the work, continuing to be out there. I, I previously had a podcast dedicated to Eric Roberts, who is maybe like the 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 most workingest actor ever. Um, so like knowing that not only are you out there continuing to do all this amazing work, but interacting with your fans, that's huge. And that has to be... As as life giving as it is, an exhausting aspect of being who you are. He took my thumb, Charlie. Yes, <laughs> yo, I, I will. I will straight up tell you like I that. Didn't rape his <laughs> I didn't spit in his fat face. Oh, I, I love that. Me. I love everything about that. <laughs> yeah, Eric. <laughs> no, I love it. Are you kidding me? Uh, oddly enough, we've never worked together. Uh, uh, there's a, you know, I, I'm, I'm two degrees of separation from everybody else in Hollywood. Tr tr yeah, and trust, I know Eric. He's wonderful. Trust me, I looked for it too, knowing that we. Were, I was talking. Yeah, I was like, exactly. has he ever worked with Eric? And nope, wasn't there. Nope. <laughs> Although I just, uh, there's a little film that uh, once again the the pandemic probably you know killed it a little bit. It'll actually be released in theaters and on. Uh, um, what uh, uh, on demand uh, in a couple of months, but a little thing called uh, Adverse, uh, where yes. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, Mickey Rourke is in that. Although we yep. we didn't have a single scene together, so uh, that's kind of a shame. Mickey Rourke yeah, and Sean uh, Aston, Aston's in it, Penelope Ann Miller, oh, amazing, uh, um, amazing, yeah, Nichols. So it's yeah, it's it's a fun little cast for a uh, you know a a very low budget indie film. I wanted to ask you a question about directing. Um, you know, as as we sort of mentioned at the beginning, you know, your first two, uh, well, film directing, I'm sure you were doing theater directing before this, was uh, Dangerous Touch and Sioux City, both yeah. things that you starred in that are very yeah. different films. I, I was curious if that was a decision on your part. Like, you really were a groundbreaking actor. I mean, you're, you know, the, the two big films, La Bamba and um, Stand and Deliver, were these massive movies to a community of people. There had to be some anxiety around being typecast or being limited to what you could do and these two films that you are behind 
the camera as well as in front of are so different. I, I didn't know if that was intentional or just luck or, or what was going on there. No, it's absolutely intentional. Uh, you know, and, and at the time, I think I said it way back when, and, and it's still somewhat true. You know, the only real power you have in it as an actor is the ability to say no. Right. Uh, and, and, and Hollywood, you know, uh, um, imitation is the you know the the greatest form of flattery i mean you get one hit and the next thing they they, they want you to do the exact same thing you know mm-hmm. which is why you know well you get one one massive hit in, in the movies and you know the three other studios come up with something similar um and you know having been trained in the theater and having done everything from shakespeare to mammoth you know to improv to moliere right. and yeah. you know uh, everything in between uh, my very first professional gig was, you know, a comedy troupe called the Zero Hour, where we would yeah. do comedy in punk clubs in Fort Worth. And the, you know, oh, in, I love that! I fucking love that. Oh, it was hilarious, man! If you want to a beer bottle taxi, you know, I mean, these were like hardcore punks, and and yeah. we did very very raunchy versions of Saturday Night Live kind of skits, you know. So Amazing. so my my interest and my you know what what really gets me going has always been the the range and, and variety of, of uh, uh, genres out there, you know, yeah. and I'm thrilled. You know, I don't turn my nose up at anything. I mean, I, I don't get to do as much comedy as I would like, uh, but you know, horror, sci-fi, you know, I think it's, it's, it's all sort of amazing. And it was a uh, very conscious effort early on in my career to not repeat myself, to not become, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, uh, just that, that, that kind of one trick pony. Uh, which which isn't to say that, that 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 hasn't worked really well for a lot of people. John Wayne was always John Wayne. Clint Eastwood was always mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood. You know, I mean, Tom Tom Cruise basically does the same thing. You know, but he does it incredibly well. So you know, good 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 for guys like that. You know, I I I had to be a little more diverse than that. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, I wasn't getting you know as many opportunities. So uh, you know, the first three films were Love Amba, Stand and Deliver, and Young Guns, and all three incredibly different from one another with three very, very different characters. And, and th- that's kind of been the hallmark of my career ever since is, you know, mm. trying to do something different, trying to do something, you know, cool. I mean, even when you're given a stock character, and fortunately for me, this has not been the case, but I mean, in Prodigal Son, man, you know, the procedural lieutenant, such a thankless role. The poor guys who end up, you know, doing that on hits, are doing the same thing week in, week out. You guys be careful out there. You're a loose cannon, <laughs> you know. And 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 the wonderful thing about Prodigal Son is that it, there's so much going on with Gil. There's so much that's, you know, not typical. And and he gets to get have that dry sense of humor. And but he gets to be paternal and very family yeah. oriented. Uh, one of the episodes that we did not get to uh, film last season because of the pandemic. Would have revealed that that Gil is actually part Filipino, and I think we're that's do that amazing as well. <laughs> Perfect. And, you know, once again, it's just about representation, doing something new and something different, and that I hope keeps my performances from being stale, but also gives you know the audience you know uh, uh, that follows me something different every time out. I mean, people have their favorites. There are certain things that you know. I mean, anybody who loves Sioux City might not like Dangerous Dodge. It's a little, uh, it's a little edgy, you know. I'm not gonna uh, lie, but, I like them both, but yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, it's 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 two, two two different side dishes, man. You know. That's cool though, man. It's good. It keeps it fresh and it keeps you like, dude, you're iconic in so many of these scenes, like from Prodigal Son all the way back to La Bamba. You know what I mean? And that shit is awesome. Such a cool <laughs> career, you know. And like, can I we talk like about it. Young Guns for a brief moment? Sir? Yeah, we both sure. love Young Guns. Oh my God! 
So I have a gigantic forearm tattoo of a dagger that is directly related to the character of Jose Chavez y Chavez. And it's, I think that, dude, those movies were so cool. Both of the Young Guns movies are so cool. What was that like doing? Was that fun or what? Like doing Western stuff? You know, I've said it a million times. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's the most fun I've ever had on the film set. I mean, that group of guys, just ridiculous. Uh, the first day I, I stepped foot on that set, that's when I thought, I've arrived. I've arrived. Right. I, wow. I, I, I made it in Hollywood because I'm working with Kiefer and Emilio and Charlie. And it was like, holy crap, you know. Just, Shit is so awesome. Uh, unbelievable, man. And, and, and you know, it was, it, was just, it was just raw and that energy was there. And, and, and we all bonded so quickly. Uh, and, 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 and we're still very good friends. You know, Dermot just, uh, Dermot just uh, guested on um, uh, Prodigal on Son. Prodigal Son. Season, yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah, that's uh, so I, awesome. I've, I've been on the phone with Emilio a couple of times in the last few months. Kiefer and I run into each other uh, purposefully uh, at, at uh, some of the, you know, those uh, autograph conventions every once in a while we hang out. So, you know, I mean, th- those bonds have, you know, pals, man. That's never gone away. You know? I have another pal story for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's that um, one of my friends is uh, like a rock and roll singer, dude. And he was playing a show at the TLA in Philadelphia. And uh, all of our homies were back there. And we were talking about, well, they were talking about Young Guns. And one of the people that was backstage was like, hey, I'm a tattooer. And he tattooed the three of my homeboys with a little tombstone and the word pals on it. And I <laughs> promised them that I'd tell you that story. Yeah, yeah. So they got that tattooed cool. backstage cool, at a club. Man, that's, that's some shit, excellent. huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just so you know about the knives really quick. Uh, uh, both the Bowie knife and the Bolo knife I used in Young Guns 2, I designed. So that no I could shit. Do wow. Yeah. I mean that's the beauty of features is that you get on so you get on them early enough uh, that that you know you can you can uh, have an influence on the props and things like that. And I wanted to be able to spin the that Bowie knife like the guys were able to twirl their guns. So we put the rings on the Bowie, and then um, uh, for the Bolo knife, I was practicing with a drumstick. Although I still have scars all over my arms because <laughs> yeah, no, the plastic version of the Bolo knife wasn't heavy enough to twirl. So uh, I had to use the, the actual metal one. And, uh, you know, when you're twirling around like that, you know, you, you tend to nick yourself. Um, so, uh, yeah, we did that. And then all of a sudden the big hit comes along and they want me to be the knife guy again. And I'm like, holy crap, what am I going to do? Um, and uh, uh, Daryl Chan, who was, you know, my trainer at the time, who introduced to us, uh, uh, introduced to me by um, my, my buddy Brandon Lee, uh, who was a dear friend. Yeah. Um, you know, I said, what am I going to do, man? He goes, well, first of all, Let's 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 go Filipino style with these knives, and uh, you know, with both hands, and you know, yeah. I can't I forget the name of that defense. But then I the said, Screamer. Yeah, that's it. And then put the uh, put the rings on the back of the knives as opposed to on the hilt. Put them all the way on the back so that they really flash when I when I go with both hands. So wow. awesome! So yeah. fucking cool, man! God we, damn it! So we, we don't have we don't. <laughs> We don't have a ton of time left, and uh, I, I wanted to ask you something really quick. And if, if you don't know, that's fine, but I, you're like my source of information on this thing. I have another podcast that we focus on the work of Vic Diaz, and uh, on two of his um, biography pages, he's listed as uh, possibly being in the movie Bats. And I've seen Bats, and he is not in the movie Bats. And I didn't know <laughs> if you knew anything about that. Was he supposed to be in Bats, and it didn't work out? 
No, not that I know of, man. That's that's totally new on me. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't find out until years later that they did a sequel because they sure didn't come to crazy, me. Crazy, <laughs> crazy. Um, was that a fun? Was that a fun set? I, I, that's a movie that I've also watched a bunch of times. Um, I don't know if it's uh, a classic per se, but it's certainly part of my filmography. What what was it like being on that the set for that film? That that, that one was weird, man. I got yeah. I, you know I yeah. can't lie. That one that one was a weird one. I acted, uh, the Louis Morneau, the director, did an amazing job. He really, I think, elevated that script, uh, as well as uh, Georges, um, and it's a Greek last name, but I can't remember, uh, the cinematographer. Yeah, uh, did, right. Just a fantastic job. Uh, loved the cast, loved hanging out, uh, uh, but I will admit, I mean, we uh, we filmed it in Utah, and that was like, what, at the turn of the, turn of the century, and we yes. were on splits for the most part. And and you know so you you couldn't make a last call. There was you just couldn't no. because, because the the bars closed at like eleven thirty, and you know you the, you you couldn't go into you couldn't go into a bar without being sponsored. So there was always some drunk guy at the end of the bar. Yeah, I just, I just, you know. <laughs> oh man, it was just an odd setup. You know, you couldn't you couldn't get a shot of scotch with a beer chaser. It just all of these very odd Utah <laughs> rules. And and if you bought beer in a in a you know. Uh, you, you couldn't go to a Seven Eleven. You had to go to a liquor store. Uh, it was that. It was that three-two beer. So you know, you, you, you basically just ended up peeing a lot. It was an interesting shoot, though, and it was a very interesting shoot. All right. Well, I we want to respect your time. We know you got a lot of people to talk to, uh, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, man. Uh, thank you so much for being exactly, so yeah. gracious. Dude, it's awesome to talk to you. It's such a like a big deal. Like again, I know that we fanboyed a little bit, and I'm I'm trying to keep it in check, right? I appreciate you know, it, man. I really do. We didn't even ask, wanna... hold on, Josh. We didn't even ask about Demon Wind, so we didn't fanboy that. <laughs> yeah, we came close. We I think we we kept a respectable non fanboy distance, Liam. We did wow. good. Yeah, we did okay. Wow. It's okay. I, I tell you how that happened. I I, I was I was uh, married at the time to Julie. She was an assistant director. Um, I went to visit her on set, and next thing you know, she's going, you should be a zombie. That'd be really cool. <laughs> and, and, uh, I, as long as, you know, nobody recognizes me. Uh, well, no, that, no, no. <laughs> they, uh, they really took advantage of that. I yeah. mean, it was, supposed to be, it was supposed to be a goof. It was supposed to be one shot, and then uh, – yeah, so that goes on the resume. Okay, it it, 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 it doesn't help that you're credited as Lou Gem Phipps, which is like, <laughs> come on, yeah. come on. Yeah, I like that. I like so that. good. All right, well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for talking to us, man. This, you guys, this is cool. You guys, uh, uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays.
back. Hello. So hopefully that wasn't too difficult of a listen, but it's totally okay if it was. Just saying's all. <laughs> <laughs> just listen to Liam's voice on there. That's the one that matters. Stop. Just, just no, that one. stop it. Same. Stop it. Same. 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 But not anyway. True. <laughs> so yeah, so Liam, what 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 are we doing now? In the weird spot for us to do it, but it's okay because you know I we're mean, doing whacking on track. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're do, we're doing whacking on track. It's fine. It's basically we wanted to, um, we wanted to have some way of saying goodbye to the year without feeling like we had to go out of our ways to make some sort of official end of year list you know that's just yeah no offense to anyone doing that and in fact we we thought about doing that for the cinepunk site but people just weren't interested we a, a few people were but a lot of people weren't interested in actually following through and doing it because you know people are stressed right now and not everyone has mm. had time to watch movies or or check out new music so that's fine um and i think for us we definitely didn't want to end the year not talking about some of the movies that we cared about because a lot of great movies came out and I don't want this to be the year Mm -hmm. that we forgot movies. Uh, And I'm seeing a lot of people who normally are very talkative about their favorite movies of the year be like, well, I didn't really see that much. And I'm like, well then get on streaming and check some stuff out, buddy, because a lot of great stuff came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we definitely want to do that. But we, like I said, we just didn't want to do it in a formal way. We're like, all right, Josh, what's your number two? (laughs) Yeah. We saved those for episodes of Burdan <laughs> with fake marathons. That's how Yo, we do that. That was stuff. a lot of fun. And, sh- <laughs> I, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because shout out to Burdan because not only did we both think his record, uh, well, it's not just him, but his his now band uniform was, I think, a record that we both loved. It was one of the most consistent feedbacks I got from people who liked the show that people were like, Oh, okay. What did I like from this year? Well, uniform, uniform, uniform. And every time I'd be like, yo, did you listen to our episode? And they're all like, yeah, of course I listened to the episode. I'm like, all right, whatever. (laughs) Yo. (laughs) So good. Because that's who I am. I'm like, oh, you like something? Well, we're connected to that thing. Uh, Oh, yo. (laughs) That's so good. Hey, yo, hey. (laughs) (laughs) So, Liam, the year is 2020. It is. What did you like in 2020? Oh, yeah. Let's be clear, too. We said this is whacking on track. We're basically going to do on track. We hope yeah, that we you know what's whack. And we're on. pretty sure you know what's whack, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There COVID, fascism, you know all the stuff. It all sucks. All the things. Yeah, all shitty. is whack. So yeah, yeah, let me yeah, talk yeah. a little bit. Uh, let's talk about movies for a little bit. I want to say up front that we actually covered i realized four new movies and i don't think we actually do a lot of new movies so this is maybe the most new movies we've done in a year ever yeah i and, agree I and agree. all four it of those good movies, too i like that we did new movies a lot this year i think we'll i think we'll have to make it a regular part of the rotation is a new movie episode because um the four that we cover too all four make it onto my like if i was going to do a top 10 list i think all four would be on my top 10 list that's awesome. So let's go that ahead and you say watch good movies. So let's go ahead and say uh, the four that we've talked about previously this year were uh, Bakurao, Never mm-hmm. Rarely, Sometimes Always, The Assistant, and First Cow. I don't think we need to spend time rediscussing them now. If you're interested in what we thought, go back and listen to those episodes. Um, I love them. Yeah, I think Josh loved them too. If you want to hear all the reasons we love them, listen to those episodes. You know, uh, but those those are all things worth mentioning. One of the things I haven't mentioned. I don't think I've mentioned it on the show at all yet, 
but I really loved was a documentary called Time. Have you heard about this? I have heard about this. This is about the uh, incarcerated gentleman that got out after 20-something yes. years, was it? Yes, yes. Yeah. And what I love about this as a documentary is that it's not – there's different kinds of documentaries. So there are documentaries that are just sort of like trying to tell you a story. There are documentaries that are trying to convince you of something, like uh, educate you mm. or maybe even uh, propagandize you. This is the sort of documentary that is very much an art piece. It feels – Honestly, like not quite abstract, but interpretive cinema. But it's mm. made out of real footage because um, the in in this in the you know in real life, basically, um, this couple had were both incarcerated for bank robbery. Uh, uh, the wife gets out long before uh, her husband, who's incarcerated, as you said, for twenty some years, and she spends a lot of time filming things so that she can send him video of her and their family together, so that he feels connected to them. And a lot of the documentary is that footage. There's definitely new footage, but what there isn't is a lot of like talking heads in front of a you know gray background telling you information that doesn't happen it's more uh interpretive artistic poetic than that and it destroyed me it is so emo now i i can imagine in the moment i could actually picture there's somebody who's going to be watching this thinking well these people did a thing and now they're paying the price for it and if that is where you're at, I don't want to judge you too hard because I think that you are just, that's the culture we're in. That criminals, mm. they owe us something and they have to pay for it. But I think what this movie does that you should be open to is ask the question, to what end? Like, what is accomplished? Like, what are we actually getting by keeping this man from his family? What What is the actual benefit? Uh, and what is the damage being done? And... Um, I just thought it was beautiful. And as someone who is already sold on prison abolition, it felt like that's what it's about without being about. You know what I mean? Like, clearly this mm. woman has an agenda. She's an activist for, uh, you know, educating people on the uh, carceral system. But she she doesn't give any long speeches. There's no, like, here's all the information you need to be convinced that I'm right. It's just about their experience as a family and about her hope that he'll get released. And there's this moment where she fucking loses it. Like she just talking about the ways that she has to basically scrape and bow down and fucking debase herself just to get information about his parole hearings. That's all she wants to know. When is the parole hearing? That's all she wants to know. And she has to fucking kiss ass, like basically tongue asshole emotionally in order to get these people just to give her the information she needs. There's this moment where she like unleashes a little bit of her frustration. And what was so powerful about it, it's a reminder. When we talk about hope, we think of hope as like a sentimental upbeat thing right like when you're hopeful mm. you're just this like you're an h2o fan when you're hopeful you know what i mean like <laughs> you're just a pma but that's not true a lot of times hope is an act of defiance like you refuse mm. to give up hope because you know the enemy wants you to and fueling that hope is actually bitter anger it's a feeling of like righteous rage is fueling your hope that you're going to win and that comes across in the scene so powerfully that it just was amazing so anyways time See it. It's really good. It's mm. a good one. That's a good one. Josh, do you have something that you like that you wanted to talk about? 
it's funny because it's like, you know, it's the end of the year. So, of course, all the stuff for roster contention is supposed to be put out sure, like right sure. under the line. So whenever we do these things, I'm always just like, yeah, well, the movies that I love the most, I just saw two months ago. And um, I've decided I'm not going to feel bad about that. I just, that's what I saw. No, that you don't I, need to, yeah. Stays in my mind. I mean, um, so one of the movies that I really, really, truly did love this year was Minari, the new Stephen yep. King movie. Yep. And my goodness, that movie is earth shattering. It is a moving and, oh my goodness, what a tremendous just story from beginning to end of a family of Korean immigrants that have emigrated to America in the 80s to try and make a life for themselves. And um, all the performances in it are really, really good. And the story is told really well. And it, there's just so much resonance in there for the story that's presented, but also for the story of myself and a lot of uh, my friends in the Filipino community that just moved here, like, you know, first generation, you know, like we, we were born here, but our parents did the whole thing of having to get here. And it's not one of those movies that goes through all of like the logistical aspects of immigration of like, you know, going through like all the channels that you have to do to do, to come over here, like through whatever bureaucratic process or whatever. It's the emotional feeling of coming somewhere where you don't know anybody and you know that you are the outsider through right. no act other than looking like how you look. And to say, well, you know, we have this idea and we're going to do it. And there are moments in that movie that are just so powerful and just so real. You know what I mean? And it was an epic 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 movie it's so good and i can tell right now it's gonna be one of those movies that everyone during like the award ceremonies are gonna say how much they love and all that stuff and it's i mean i get it but also i think it's a completely different experience for people who lived that life of economic migrants trying to make a better world for themselves in a new world completely so that's one of my most favorite movies of the year hands down if not my f most favorite movie of the year. Yeah, it's definitely a top fiver for me, I think. Um, it is just really powerful. And I agree with you. I, I, I think that – I think part of what people are going to need to think about watching it is um, if the film is critical of the American dream that his character is striving for or not. I think mm -hmm. if, if you think the film is uncritical of that, then you might not love it as much as other people do. I think the film is critical of it. Like it, 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 just because you feel for him and it humanizes his desire, I don't think it then is fully endorsing the idea of like America is totally the land of opportunity. Like clearly, <laughs> clearly, life is not easy for this family, and what they're doing is not easy. And to simply say like this is just a rah rah America movie, I think is not paying attention to the subtlety of the storytelling mm -hmm. and the filmmaking yeah. because. They're giving blood. Like this is this is a sacrifice to live and to try to do this thing. And to do it in a way that's connected to his roots and his community. So I don't know. I, I thought it was really powerful in a very kind of subtle way. I also didn't mm -hmm. expect it to be funny, but the relationship between uh, there are moments in the oh. between the kid, the grandson and the yes, grandma. Yes. Oh my goodness. 
And even those, though, were like when I was watching them, I totally know what that was like. Right. You know what I mean? And I right. totally un- like there's one scene when um, the kid, you know, his parents are very religious. Well, the mother is at the very least. And so she is teaching him prayers before bed. And one of the things that she teaches the grandson is like, you know, there were kids who prayed to see heaven before they went to sleep. And they did, you know, and um the grandma is holding him later because he doesn't want to go to sleep because he doesn't want to die because he doesn't want to see heaven or whatever. And the grandma's holding him and she's just comforting him. And like, you know, who said that to my grandson? Like that kind of thought. And I know in my heart what that embrace from a grandmother feels like because my grandmother held me in the same way. And it's that kind of thing, that experience, right? Like, and she definitely, like there are moments in that relationship that felt so real to me felt so honest and it was it shook me man it it had me fucked up i ain't gonna lie to you so good yeah i mean don't don't feel bad i don't i'm not trying to shame anyone for whom this movie doesn't have the emotional residence it does for you per se Mm -hmm. because obviously you're closer to that experience but i do think it's a universal i I think you would have to be really detached not to feel something watching it is is my reason no that's true but I mean, like, but the other thing, the actual resonance for Asian Americans as I know them and as I am is like, there's like the weird, subtle things like the dad wearing a hat that's a little bit too big for him or smoking as much as he does or like uh, the mother's like insistence on becoming a member of the church, even though it feels as though they don't belong there at all. You know what I mean? Like those, those experiences are very much seated in the Asian American experience. Know it. And uh, God, there's the one scene where the girl's talking to the daughter at the church, and she's like, "I'm gonna say a bunch of things, and you stop me if I say a word in your in your language." And she starts with like the ching chong and all that stuff, and I'm watching this in horror, right? Because I can remember situations very much like that for me when I was going to church as a child, as an impressionable individual. You know what I mean? And it just it felt like a direct line to these wounds that have scarred over since, but are still the fuck there. That's what this movie felt like. Mm. I feel you, man. It it definitely made me, as much as I do feel like it's a pretty uh, relatable narrative in some ways, it did also make me think of like my uh, immigrant friends growing up and like what their experience was compared to mine and aspects of it. I was like, oh, that reminds me of this person or that person. So anyways, uh, it's a great movie. I, I loved it. Uh, another movie I loved that I'm not hearing a ton of talk about, but but a little bit, is a movie called uh, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Another um, documentary, the one about the bar. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, because of the way it's filmed, uh, I think people can't decide how to describe this movie because is it a, a full documentary is it a dramatization what what even is this movie but uh i just thought it was a masterful piece of filmmaking where while i'm watching it i'm not worried about that at all i'm just wrapped up in some of the most natural conversations on camera i could imagine um while still feeling like we're going somewhere like there is some story happening you know what i mean so i don't know i think it's great i think it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do next. Uh, this isn't like the first thing or anything, but I just this is the first time I've heard about these filmmakers, and so I don't know. It's it's not a huge release, but um, basically got it from uh, the the it's being um, 
partly distributed by Vinegar Syndrome, and a friend of the show, Justin Liberty, was part of making that happen. And so I really just got it to support him, and then was just amazed that I loved it so much. So I, I don't know. It's if you like quirky stories, um, and, and we talked about it on the show a little bit, so I don't want to repeat myself, but I just think mm. it, it hasn't made quite the impact I think it should, and it's it's really really good. Nice. All right, another movie that I love this year. Again, a recent view uh, was Nomadland, the new Francis McDormand movie put up by Searchlight Features. And this movie is fucked up, man. It's so good. It comes to the point where you're like, there is not an ounce of makeup in this entire movie. I sure, know it's a fictional right. movie. I know it's like, uh, you know, the the translation of a book that someone had written. But my goodness, like... All of the actors in the movie, you watch this and you're like, are these actors? Like, I can't tell. And like their names, the names of the actors are the names of the characters in the entire movie, except for Francis McDormand. And my goodness. And I think maybe there's like one or two other character actors that are in the movie more prominently than the rest of the cast. And those people are like, they have different names than what the actual name is in life. But there's just stuff in this goddamn movie that is so heartbreaking and rendered so beautifully that you can't help but feel every ounce of the narrative and the gravity therein. There's one character in the movie named Swanky who's like an aging lady. And, you know, the movie is about Frances McDormand's uh, entire town. Like, her husband dies a year ago and the zip code for her town, which is Empire, Nevada, is what happens is like there's this, uh, I think a mine closes. So the whole neighborhood clears out like they all move. And eventually they the, the zip code for that neighborhood or for that part of town is erased from the record. So it just doesn't exist anymore. And everybody moves on. And Frances McDormand ends up becoming a nomad that lives in her van and she finds a community of people that have the same lifestyle that just move from job to job. Like they go to um, beat picking and like, there's like a job that you can get where you pick beets and stuff. And then they work at Amazon and then they work like it's all seasonal labor, but then they just move from place to place from locality to locality in their home vans and they make a life for themselves and they carve a life for themselves despite all the ancillary things that may be around them. It's this weird road life. And man, it is magnificent. It's such a strong movie in that there's just so many moments that are in the cracks that are like integument to the main pieces of the narrative that make it feel so, so real. And it's just so good. I really enjoyed it a lot. And I mean, it's one of those movies where it's like just categorically downtrodden. It's a sad movie. It's not like a happy ass movie. You know what I'm saying? But that said, there are just little pockets of joy in there that make the whole movie feel like not a tragedy. And it's so good. I really, really loved it. I really want to see it. It's a heavy watch. It's on my list, but I haven't gotten to get to it yet, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a lot. Francis McDormand, though, I mean... People, listeners of the show know how much we love the Coen brothers. Yep. And for me, I really love movies of the Coen brothers that feature Frances McDormand because I think she's an amazing actor. And in this movie, it's a tour, man. She is, he just doesn't, it's watching her in this movie. She's in pretty much, she's in every scene, 
but she inhabits every scene that she's in in such a natural way that she doesn't feel like she's in every scene. Right. Does that I, make any I, sense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, dude, it's just so good. There's there's one character in the movie named Swanky, who, again, is like an elderly lady, aging lady that lives in the van, and she talks about a moment when she uh, she loves kayaking. So she's kayaking, and there are a bunch of birds that are flying above her on the still lake or river or whatever, and the reflections on the water, on the surface of the water, too. So she felt like she was just in the middle of nature and in the middle of this flock of birds. And the way she describes it is so breathtaking. And it's just, man, it's such a powerful, like, I mean, I don't like saying the word powerful because it's like, yeah, if it resonates with you, it's going to be powerful. But man, this movie just has so much to it that I think is endemic of the human condition. And I think it'll speak to a lot of people despite, you know, differences in background and stuff like this. Great movie. Mm. Great movie. Great performance by Francis McDormand. So good. I got, I need to make, I need to make time to see it. It's, it sounds like something I would love. Um, uh, I'm going to just be really quick on this one because a lot of people have been talking about it, but I just want to add my voice to this. Uh, the small Axe series on, uh, Amazon, um, all done by uh, Steve McQueen. It's five films. Some of them are shorter. Uh, some are longer. Uh, a lot of people are lifting up specifically Lover's Rock. I'm going to agree with that. Lover's Rock is amazing. It's just an amazing piece of work. But I actually think um, all the movies I've seen, I still haven't watched the first one, which is the longest one. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but uh, the other four in the series... Uh, I really think are really good. And I get that there's a lot of pushback considering them filmed because they were meant for Amazon. But it just seems like they're movies, though. Like, you know what mm. I mean? Like, I get it. Yeah. They're, they're not they're not all two hours. The one is two hours. Uh, uh, some of them are a little shorter. But most of them are still feature length. And... Uh, and movies premiere online now. You know what I mean? Like some some mm-hmm. won't. Yeah. Like theaters will come back, and some will play in theaters. But I just think the seal has been broken. And just <laughs> because something is only online doesn't make it not a fucking movie. And so yeah. these are movies. They're not. It's not TV. And, and honestly, let's be clear. Everyone out here being like, "Well, they're just like made-for-TV movies." Yeah, a lot of people love made-for-TV movies. Like, let's not pretend. <laughs> and there's that no that, shame in that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not pretend that that's some shit that no one cares about. So, um, I think if you're like, "Well, where do I jump in?" I don't think it's a bad idea to start with the very first one, which I haven't watched yet. Um, mm. I just know for those of you who know how my life is, I watch a lot of these with my wife, and at night, and a two-hour thing, it just hasn't been a possible for us yet with you know parenting stuff so um Mm. and i didn't want to watch it without her because she loved them as much as i did so uh but i will say the one that affected me the most was lover's rock so if you're looking for a place Mm. to start i would definitely recommend that's a good end point yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um i also want to bring up something that we've both talked about really liking before so we don't have to get into it too deep but uh kajillionaire I think if I was Kajillionaire, yeah, that's what I was going to say next. I was like, yeah. dude, another movie that I love this year, motherfucking Kajillionaire. Yeah, we both like, we t- thought we, it was great. We both like Miranda July movies. Yeah, d- despite their, I mean, they have problems. Like they're not perfect movies by any stretch, but also they have a true and honest core to a lot of them that make you feel like, oh, this is territory that's new, but also that I understand the language to. Sure. And Kajillionaire is one of those movies. But I think it's like a little bit more 
um, in the Miranda July pocket. Like, there's a lot more bizarreness in it than, than I think her previous films. And um, that's it. I, it just makes me more in love with it. I, sure. I think it's a really good movie. But we, we talked about that. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I'll agree that it is weirder. I do think, though, that it also has more emotion. Like, sometimes her films feel a little detached. But there's, like, mm-hmm. catharsis in this one that isn't always in her movies. And yeah. um, I don't know. I it, I found it really powerful as it was quirky and silly. And like that's hard to do. It's hard to have a movie yeah. be as goofy, silly, whatever as this one, and still have it mean something. Now, does it mean as much as like Shoah? Obviously not. But the, mm. the to be able to do something this goofy and still have there be an emotional core, I think, is not a small accomplishment. Yeah, for sure. It's a good movie. Good movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I also what else wanted, this year? I also wanted to bring up something. I have two I want to do really quick that were recommendations from people that I had time to get in just because they recommended them and, and partly because we postponed due to uh, the shenanigans of white folks. And so those two, uh, friend of the show, uh, Adriana Gober, uh, recommended Dick Johnson is Dead, um, a documentary on Netflix. Uh, I've been meaning to watch it. It's been on my list, but I hadn't prioritized it because I just thought, oh, it'll, that'll be whatever. It's really good, actually. It's one of the yeah. stranger movies I've ever watched just because of the way it explores death and the 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 honesty but also it's both performative and it takes the lid off the performance in some ways you know mm-hmm. um i just thought it was really good and really smart and really uh, and emotional but not in a way that felt unnecessarily you know i didn't feel like i was being manipulated i felt like all the mm-hmm. emotions were real with the silly ones in there too so uh, if you're someone for whom a movie that's just a two hour or not quite two hour meditation on your dad dying sounds like a little too much then you know (laughs) don't jump in but i thought it was really powerful oh the other one i wanted to mention really quick and i wanted to bring it up because i know you had seen it too Uh, a friend Mm -hmm. of the show justin ordell recommended lucky grandma a movie i had never heard of didn't even know it came out wasn't Ah. aware and and when i went on letterboxd only like three or four people i knew on letterboxd had even seen it so i thought like man i don't know what this is but we had time so i started watching it almost on a lark like if if this doesn't suck me in i'll just turn it off and watch something else and Mm -hmm. i loved it i thought that was a great movie it's fun such a funny movie yeah it's a weird Oh, it's so good. And the grandma is so funny. And I saw She's it at the so film festival good. this year. She's so good. I saw it on the same day that I saw Swallow, which makes what for a weird double combo. feature. Yeah. Yeah. But man, it's such a good and fun movie. It's so ridiculous is what it is, but it's really right. not that ridiculous, which is what makes it more ridiculous. If that makes sense. Well, and it made me, well, it's funny is it made me think of Minari, right? Because they're both mm. unexpected grandmas though. Of course the grandma and lucky grandmas much more has much more of an edge than the grandma and Minari. But, but the yeah. idea that they're non-traditional grandmas, you know, they're, they're not the grandma mm. that you have as a stereotype in your head. Yeah. 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 And this one's, I mean, just the whole play out of the scenario that this grandma finds herself in is so funny. It's so ridiculous. But I will say, it, 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 if you watch the trailer, the trailer makes it seem like um, 
uh, it makes it seem like a 2000s Quentin Tarantino ripoff. You know how like wh- whether it's like Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag or uh, Suicide Kings or you know whatever it is, mm. there are all these movies that are like this movie's edgy and funny. Whoa! And then you watch it and it like doesn't quite work. And a lot of the jokes mm. are kind of like really obvious. This movie's not what that trailer made me feel like it was going to be. It's funny. But the jokes aren't like cheap, like and and it's no, not. They're earned for yeah. sure. Yeah, and the movie has like actual emotions going on. It, it, again, not that dissimilar from Kajillionaire in the sense of let's have a silly fun premise, but actually have emotional stakes to our silly fun premise. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the character of like the big dude or whatever that has to stay with him and he's stuff. And there are great, moments, great. There are moments when they're eating together and she's making him eat, and he's like a big dude, you know, and she's like, "You have to eat." And it's so funny, but it's also not a joke, right? Super like it's charming. not like a joke. No. Yeah, it's super good. And 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 that's a first time directorial uh debut sort of John. So really great work mm. for that. I'm excited to see what else they do after that. But so those yeah. were two two that were recommended to me that I managed to get in just before we recorded that I think were really great. Yep, super fun. Um did you see that weird short that David Lynch did this year with the monkey? No, and in fact, a lot of people I know put shorts on their end of year list because they saw so many good ones, and it mm. made me want to start watching some shorts just to like know what's going on. Because Pedro yeah. Almodovar put a short out. There's that David Lynch short. There's a couple other mm. on again bringing him up again. Justin Liberty had a few shorts on his end of year list, and I thought, oh, that's easy. I'll, I'll watch some shorts, and I just haven't had a chance to do it yet. Yeah, the David Lynch one is called What Did Jack Do? It's on Netflix. Right. Yes. It's 17 minutes long. Actually, it's from 2017, but I saw it for the first time this year. So, Oh, know, so it's not even relevant. Yeah, not even guy. relevant. Never mind. There are a couple movies, though, like that movie I saw this year and also uh, uh, Wolf House, La Casa Lobo. Or, sure. Yeah. That those are, I mean, La Casa Lobo came out in 2018, apparently, but I don't know anyone who saw it before this year. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I will say that, like, for example, both uh, Lucky Grandma and Swallow were considered 2019 films, but they only played Mm. festivals and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So like when we just did our end of year list of horror movies for horror business and I struggled Mm. with if I was going to put Swallow on my list or not. And I thought, well, I didn't see it till 2020. And most people I know didn't see it till 2020. So I'm going to put it on Mm. my list. And it was my number one. Uh, it is my favorite <laughs> horror movie I saw this year. It's so... it's a tough one. I love it. It's so good. Another one. It's I, such uh, a multifaceted yes, horror movie. Yes. Uh, it's so great. Another one I'll bring yeah. up that also was on my list that is definitely from this year was uh, Possessor, the Brandon Cronenberg. Oh movie. yeah, I actually didn't finish it. I started it when we were in Phoenix, but then I never. It was one of those movies that uh, it, I was like, oh, let's watch this, and then. Um, it got too real too quick, and I was like, yes. "Oh no, no, no! I have to be one hundred percent dialed in." Were you watching the uncut version? Mm, yes, I was. Yes, I recommend. I, I don't think the cut version is bad, but the uncut version is so unflinchingly brutal that, like, I I have to recommend it, knowing, of course, mm. that for some people it might be a little too much. But it's not brutal in like a tip of the fedora, you know, uh, Siberian movie or whatever. That what's that? What's mm. that? Serbian, Serbian film. film. 
yeah. it's not like that. It's not like a friggin' uh, let's let's scandalize everyone sort of way. It's just mm-hmm. brutal, and I think it's earned, but it's also upsetting. So those are two right. of the horror movies. In fact, you know, the three movies that I think would be on my list that were horror were those two, and then a movie I think you might, may or may not have seen it. She dies tomorrow. Did you catch that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those three were the three horror movies that I would without a doubt, put on just my favorite movies of the year list, you know? Mm. I'd also put Promising Young Woman on my list. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I know it's got issues. I know there's a bunch of problems to it, but also it's like just as a gut punch of a movie, my my inclination is to say that I really enjoyed it. I don't have that many issues. I mean, I, I, I punish it a little bit in my brain because I wanted something a little bit more extreme than what it is. But mm-hmm. the idea that there's like deep problematic things about it i don't think that's or at least no i don't, I don't think it. that yeah no that's not what i'm saying i'm saying more that there are like choices that are made in the movie that i'm like huh it's interesting and i'm still kind of mulling them over in my head like sure, as to why sure, that was sure. what what they chose no i hear but you. overall i thought it was a really good movie i thought that was uh i thought it was really visually nice again there are a couple of choices that i'm like huh i wonder why but otherwise yeah, yeah. i liked it overall you know i thought it was pretty good mm-hmm uh, I also I also want to mention uh, a cartoon, uh, Wolfwalkers. I watched not a ton of animated films, but I watched a fair share of animated films this year, and Wolfwalkers was my favorite, without a doubt. It's the sort of animated film that I would recommend to friends who don't have kids because it's that good, uh, and it's just a beautiful film. You know, if if people saw Song of the Sea or. I think the other one's Legend of the Kells or something like that. Anyways, mm-hmm. it's it's an Irish same, animation company. Same company, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and this is like, they're considering this part of their like Irish mythology trilogy. But I think this film manages to handle some like very serious topics in a way that isn't alienating to children. I think, you know, mm. maybe not young, young kids. My three-year-old, almost four-year-old loves it. But I could see some kids her age not liking it as much but i think if you have like a seven a six or seven year old this is right up their alley it is just a fun powerful movie so i, I don't think i could recommend it enough honestly mm. good how about you you got another thing um i saw a couple movies on netflix this year also like i saw um spontaneous and um there was one more i forget the name of it oh um save yourselves Yep, it's like you know, kind of a quirky hipster sci-fi movie. That was pretty okay, and um, spontaneous was fun. It was you know, it's definitely like a young adult movie, but you know, it was a good time. Um, I watched them, so that's cool. <laughs> a movie that I really like that I haven't seen a lot of people talk about is that movie Driveways. Have you watched this? No, no, you were talking about it the other high, day. How high, high recommend. High recommend. It's, yeah, it's a little obvious because it's like. Um, very much like lonely kid with his single mother, old white man next door, blah, 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 blah. You know what's going to happen here. Mm. Um, uh, old white man being uh, Brian Dennehy. Um, oh. uh, but it actually manages to do it in a way that feels new and is just really touching and has sometimes those movies have more compassion for the old person who is making friends with this young kid and less compassion for the kid. And this movie's about mm-hmm. the kid. This isn't about old man Brian Dennehy. Like, great. He manages to, to, to be 
to be grandfatherly to a child. Good for him. It's not about him. It's about this kid and about the world of the kid and about what it's like to be that sensitive kid who doesn't get along with all the other kids. And uh, I just found it really powerful and really emotional. And when a movie can be that sentimental without being totally cornball and saccharine, I just really appreciate that. So mm, uh, yeah. driveway. It's such a fine line too to tread. Yeah. So when a movie gets it right, you remember that. Yeah. Similarly with that movie Shithouse, which I think got written off by a lot of people as like a dumb college movie. It's an indie film. It is an artistic indie film about relationships that just happens to feature, you know, whatever Gen Z or whatever, however old these people are supposed to be. I will say, I think both these people are way older than college kids. (laughs) I feel like I've been watching the, the female lead whose name escapes me. I feel like I've been watching her play 19 for 15 years you know what i mean nice so yeah good uh, for her man yeah, yeah exactly so uh but I, it's another movie that could have been stupid if you watched the trailer you might have thought this isn't for me that i thought really kind of nailed something really good mm. that's cool anything else you wanted to mention movie no i think or... that's it movie wise that's it how about records you got any good records for this year for me i do i do have uh so i i know this is crazy but i do have a couple more movies I wanted to mention real quick. Oh, oh, so good. 40-year-old uh, version, which we talked about. Oh, yeah, we talked Great. about that, about the rapper, right? Yep. Mandibles yep. Uh, is the new, uh, I forget how to say his name, Quentin Duplo or whatever. The guy who did mm-hmm. Rubber. That's his new movie yeah. is Mandibles. It's, thought it was really good. And then a movie called Emma that I believe is from Chile. Uh, I think I, we talked about it on an episode and I mistakenly said Colombia. And a uh, mm. friend of the show, Matt McCracken, said he was yelling at me from his from his uh, <laughs> thing that it wasn't it wasn't Colombian. It's actually from Chile. But anyways, Emma, it's not Emma with two M's. That's based on the Victorian novel or whatever. This is Emma with one M. That's about you know it, 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 basically a, a female dancer has kind of blown her life up a little bit, and she puts it back together in the most fucked up way possible. So mm. check it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about music. I didn't make a huge list, but I do have a couple things. What is uh, what's a record you wanted to mention from this year? Um, this year, I definitely would like to put up the uh, latest offering from Hotel Neon, and it's a record called All Is Memory. It's in that uh, actually. I think the release date's twenty twenty one. Technically, um, it so beautiful and uh i think it's like for fans of people who like the neoclassical johan johansson sound this movie is or this movie this record is right up there with all that stuff like it sounds beautiful and it's sweeping and i i think it's really really uh a step up from where they've come which i think is already pretty amazing like i love all their records so yeah that new hotel neon record is great love it uh, I want to mention the new uh, Moses Sumney record, which I think is gray. It's like a weird AE combo thing. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. Uh, but if you, you know, just look for the latest uh, full record, not single, because I think he just released a single. Uh, uh, it's really good. Um, I'd put it with uh, another record similarly that I, I think is really good, the new Perfume Genius 
that record is on my list as well. Yeah, that yeah, movie. Think, is, that record is so so good. I think both of those are sort of in my kind of like um, funky sad boy kind of music. <laughs> funky sad boy. That's that's the genre. I I mean I just made it up now, but yeah, sure. Let's let's go with that. <laughs> let's go with it. Yeah, that's good. Um, how about a record by Zulu, an EP that came out this year called My People Hold On. I agree. I agree. And, oh my goodness. What a tremendous 19 minutes of music. Or it's like eight minutes long, something like that. It's so good. I really, uh, that's a band that I just discovered this year. I don't really know much about them, but I do like this, this, uh, I love this EP. I think it's really, really good. And I've listened to it a lot, um, this year. Yeah. I, uh, I have to mention since we already went to heavy music, um, the EP by Mind Force, uh, Swinging Swords, uh, and, Chopping Swords Lords. and Chopping Lords. That's, so good. That's my jam. Uh, I love Mind Force. I even like the single that they put out as well. But uh, the EP, I think, is the one I would lift up uh, more than the than the single. Mm, that's pretty dope, though. Love mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what about you, Josh? You got another record you want to lift up? Um, lift up like we're in prayer meeting or something. Yeah, like we're in prayer meeting. I don't know meeting. why. I, you I don't know, know why though, I ever since that. you said it, though, I'm 100% in on lifting it up. I like yeah. lifting, we're up lifting it up records. We're lifting I, up I think things. it's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amina put out a couple songs this year. They only put out, like, uh, I think maybe two or three songs, but they've been uh, releasing it under the name The Attic Series. So they put out two single or two song single where it has um, I'd like to teach the world to sing and uh, another song that is in Icelandic. Who I don't know how to pronounce the words that make up the name of the song, but um, long time listeners of the show know I really do love Amina. They're the, the quartet and expanded quartet now of uh, young ladies that play all the bells and the saws and all that stuff for Sigur Ross. So um, sure. Yeah, they put out a couple songs this year that I think are really, really beautiful. And of course, if you go back and you um, and you look into like their their catalog, you'll probably find a bunch of stuff that you like. If that's if that's if Icelandic pixie music is on your uh, on your list of things that you enjoy, yeah, then get in because that's what it is, you know. Also, um, do you know Ondara? No. He used to go by a different name. He used to go by. Um, JS on Dara, and now he's just on Dara. But he put out a record this year called Folk and Roll Volume One Tales of Isolation. And he's a folk singer that he just does the singer songwriter thing. And he wrote this entire record in isolation. And they're all kind of about it. They're all about, like, you know, he has a song to the landlord about how, like, you know, if I make you dinner, can you, like, hold off on me paying you my rent kind of thing? Sure. You know what I mean, yeah. like, it's it's one of those uh, records that when we heard it, Melani was like, "Yeah, this sounds like something you listen to," and uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. That's probably why because it's it's very much in the vein of like, you know, this introverted folk music that feels kind of outsider in its regard. But he also is like a Grammy winner, so sure. You know. But yeah, it's I like it a lot. I think that record is really really good. Um, there were actually a ton of uh, EPs that came out this year, especially from. Uh, uh, hardcore but some other like punk groups as well that like i really loved so mm-hmm. i just want to go through really quick because this episode is getting a little long if we include the ldp interview i'm like oh we're <laughs> going a little long so let me just do this really quick and um if you if y'all have any questions like what was that thing like i you know we can let you know but uh that band spy put out the service weapon ep 
Um, I really like that. Um, and uh, similarly, the band Bib put out that uh, EP uh, Deluxe. I thought was really great. Um, mm. Uh, there was the single from One Step Closer that I thought was really great this year, uh, mm. as well as the um, MS Paint put out a self-titled, I believe. Yeah, a self-titled EP. Um, MS Paint's a little more on the dancey side, but I think could appeal mm. to people who like uh, punk and hardcore. Uh, the S- Scout put out a, a an EP this year. Um, there's one I'm looking for. You know when you're vamping because you're like, okay, with well, oh, punitive damage. Uh, the mm. punitive damage, new punitive damage record was really good. And there's one that was rec. Oh, the new heavy discipline uh, EP is mm. very very good. Oh, there here yeah. it is. And there was one. This is a Evan Valella recommendation. So let me go ahead and, and name check him. Uh, Public Acid. That Public Acid record I thought was really really good. Um, uh, and. Uh, on a like a more of a personal level because I know people in both of these bands. Uh, I thought the entry record was great. Big ups to Sarah G for that. And uh, the Drowse record. Uh, I, I only know those folks in Drowse like uh, tangentially. Like we're not like friend friends, but I've talked to them a couple times. I think that record is truly just like next level. So um, all yeah. that to say, my favorite though, hardcore record of the year. I don't know. That's a big claim. One of my favorites of the year was actually the... Um, the end it record uh one way track out of baltimore i don't think i guess that was an ep too i didn't realize it was an ep um i don't think that got as much love as it could have from like i think a lot of um norman corman types like that record but i actually yeah. think it had an appeal <laughs> that some of the more like punk folks would appreciate it as well so check it out if you mm. haven't yet the uh, end it record and there's I more stuff i like too but we, you know i don't want to be out here all day Right. My, my other favorite record of the year is a double LP that Hat Rabbits put out called Cognitive Dissidents. We talked about it on the show before. Oh, yes, definitely, it, definitely. Yeah, I really love that record. It's been one of the things that's been getting me through all this stuff. It uh, features my friend Fid and uh, Fid from New Brunswick. If, you, uh, if you're of a certain age from a certain locality, you know what that means. And also, um, I would like to, it's uh, Mikey Erg is playing drums on it. So he's been in every band ever. So, um, but it's double LP. It's, it's, punk rock in the vein of what you would expect from someone who is in warriors and who is in the measure and all those bands. Sure. So yeah. Check it out. Yep. I was good. actually, I was actually surprised at the number of Oi records that came out this year that I liked, like chubby oh, yeah. and the gang skin, uh, the chubby and the gang records, the great. chisel and, uh, who's the other one? Oh, uh, uh New York hounds, all these yeah. bands that were, are basically Oi band. I mean, some of them have more, post-punk influences like i would say there's a little bit of that in the chisel but still they're all basically oi bands and like i don't remember a year where there's been more than one oi record i like and this year mm. there were like four or five that i liked that's kind of crazy so that's a lot big ups yeah, to all those bands. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah um and then you know as far as hip-hop there wasn't a lot of new stuff that i loved but i, I did think that aesop rock record was pretty good um, mm. But if there's more stuff I should have checked out this year from people who know my taste in hip hop, hit me up because that's something I kind of missed out on this year, and I wish I had checked out more of it. Uh, the new Run the Jewels is pretty good too, uh, but mm. nothing else really like resonated with me that I checked out. Mm. I know that the one dude from New York Hounds died from the Royal Hounds just recently passed yes, away. Did he? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Mm, sorry for that. That's sad. But that that band rules. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. All right. Yeah, um, I think we're done, Liam. I think that's it. I think we'll, me and Josh, just to like 
uh, have something a little more physical than us sort of rattling stuff off at the end, we'll put together we'll put together a playlist on Spotify. That's fun to do. We'll do yeah, that. Yeah, you guys like that, right? We'll do yeah, that we'll for put you, that together for you. We're really giving individuals. That's what we like. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I, I hope you guys liked this episode. I hope you appreciated the conversation with LDP. We're hoping that he, he for real will come back and have a longer conversation with us. That would be magical because we love him. Uh, and we hope that uh, you had uh, – uh, uh, we know you probably had a bad 2020. Most people had a bad 2020. <laughs> but hopefully this will highlight some of the things that weren't so bad about 2020. And we'll have a much better 2021. Yeah, hopefully we'll be uh, we'll be putting out more episodes in 2021 and having more conversations that stimulate the mind. Yeah, totally. Is the plan. Yep. All right. So that's it. Episode 125, done and done. Hey, uh, please rate. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts because that is a currency that really does help us podcasters out. Yep. Check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, just at Cinepunk, C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X. And head over to Cinepunks.com. Check out some of the other podcasts on the network. And we're going to have a new website. I don't know if it'll be up by the time this episode comes out, but uh, hopefully by next week we'll have a new website that'll be much prettier and much easier to navigate. Yay. Thank you so much, Doug. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Smoke bomb. Peace. You like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love horror business. The horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.